0: Thanks Bob. Good morning everyone. It's cool when we do communion, the different facets. Thanks Benjamin. We can focus on the cross. Remember last time Joey Beeson led us in the the idea of how the cross secured our adoption today, the weakness of Christ in reality a demonstration of the power of God. Welcome to all of you. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming around And they'll be glad to give you a Bible. Just raise your hand. One of the things that we're committed to doing, we we say that our vision, our mission here is to advance the gospel. And then to make disciples who make disciples. So we believe that the Bible is the word of God. The gospel is taught in the Bible. And one of the things that we're trying to help you to do is to learn how to read the Bible for yourself. You don't have to be dependent on spiritual gurus who... Only they can tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God. Learn to rightly divide the word of truth. Listen and and learn to interpret it properly. Now, the the cool thing, but it's kind of a double-edged sword, is often the Bible will will bring us to a place that it wasn't where we were going to end up on our own. And that's where you have to decide, am I going to go with my church traditions or am I going to go with scripture? And so today we're going to be reading through John chapter 9. And we're learning that the Gospel of John is all about how Jesus came to this earth to an earth that has, has a, a terrible malady. John begins with the earth's spiritual condition. It's in darkness. It's blind. It's hostile in rebellion against God. Jesus is God who came to earth to bring salvation. And there are various responses. Christianity is not one of many ways to God. Jesus proposed that it's the only way to God. And one of the ways that the Bible describes man's lost condition is it'll say he's dead in his sins, it'll say he's hostile to God, and sometimes it'll say he's spiritually blind. So spiritually blind means to be deceived and misled as to the truth about God and how to have a relationship with him. And the Bible says our gospel is veiled to unbelievers because Satan has blinded their minds. So when we read the Bible, we're able to, if, if God so wills it, understand how things really are. And I remember hearing somebody ask this question one time, how does it feel to be wrong? And everybody's like, oh, it's a terrible feeling. And, and then they said something really interesting. They said, no, it doesn't. It actually feels quite comfortable to be wrong. Because when you're wrong, you don't know it. What feels bad is when we realize we were wrong. So the interesting thing about spiritual truths is most people who are wrong don't know it. And that's why it's called being blind. Remember when we've all had this illustration. Hey, bring me the potato chips. They're on the second shelf of the pantry. They're not here. Yeah, they are, and they're in a red bag. They're right in front. They're not here. Then the person comes in. They reach in. They grab the chips. They put them in front of you, and they go, what are you, blind? And you're like, ah, right? So the same thing's true about spiritual things. People can be spiritually blind without realizing it. And so in John chapter 9, as we're looking at this passage, this truly happened that the Lord healed a blind man, but it was also intentional so that we would learn about our own blindness and our own need to continue to have our eyes open and our own gratitude or hostility toward Christ, depending on how we posture ourselves when he tells us we're blind. So let's pray and we'll start. Lord, open our eyes as we... Read this chapter. It's a, it's, I love this chapter, and I pray that it will be a great blessing and that we'll all learn to interpret scripture and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray for your glory. Amen. Now, the, the chapter's kind of interesting. It starts out with a miracle. Jesus heals a blind man. But then we have a series of interrogations. The first thing that happens when he gets healed is all the neighbors are like, what just happened to you? You can't be the blind man. If that's not enough, then the neighbors take the blind man to the religious leaders. And the reason they did that is back then, whenever a significant miracle took place, everyone wanted religious commentary. That was where they went. We do the same thing. When politicians make a radical statement, we immediately turn on the news because we want to know what's Bill O'Reilly going to say? What what are they going to say? What are they going to say? We want some social commentary on what just happened. Back then... Miracles demanded a religious commentary. So they bring him to the Pharisees. So the Pharisees interrogate him. If that's not enough, then the Pharisees Pharisees interrogate his parents. The religious leaders are like, tell us what happened. Then they go get him again a second time and say, we need to interrogate you a second time. And the guy, throughout the whole chapter, listen to all these questions they ask him. How were your eyes opened? Where is this Jesus? How did you receive your sight? What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? Give glory to God. We know he's a sinner. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And then finally, Jesus shows up at the end of this story, and he meets with him. He says, do you believe in me? So let's take a look here at at the miracle itself. Now, as you're reading, recognize that God does want us to draw out applications, but with some caution, okay? Chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. It says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, that's important. It's not that he became blind because he, he... He was, Christmas story, shot his eye out with a BB gun, but he was born blind. His disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? We weren't the first people to come up with the conclusion that problems are punishments from God for something we did wrong. This was a deeply held tradition among the Jews that any deformities or anything must have been from something that somebody in your lineage did. So, you know, this is ironic. The guy's been born blind from birth. Did he do something wrong? Like, what, kicked his mother in the womb? Or did his parents do something wrong? Now, we're going to come back to that, because think about that. When we have problems, sometimes we immediately go, God must be punishing me. Or sometimes we extrapolate, these problems are going to be permanent, and God's going, no. Sometimes they're purposeful platforms for me to work in your life. So Jesus says, look, it wasn't that this man sinned, nor his parents. The reason he was born blind is in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. It's a really interesting way to look at problems, that maybe this is going on in my life because God is going to glorify himself. He's going to do something here. It's much like later in the book when When Lazarus is sick and he dies and Jesus says, this happened for the glory of God. So notice that Jesus brings out an urgency to to advancing the gospel. He goes, fellas, listen, we need to work the works of God while it's still day. Work the works of him who sent me. God sent me into the world and we must do his work. Night is coming when no man can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And so... Jesus sort of advances this urgency to us, and it's kind of ironic that two things. He says, him who sent me. He goes, we got to work, but he sent me. And then he goes, I'm the light. But as you progress through the life of Jesus, he's going to say this. As the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. Here he says, I'm the light of the world. Later on, he's going to say, you're the light of the world. So this is the idea of what God's doing in our lives as he forgives us and brings us to himself, starts to make us like Jesus. We get this urgency that, hey, I'm not just down here to have fun. I'm here to be sent by God. I'm here to be a light just like Jesus was. So let's let's look at how Jesus heals him. When he had said this, he spat on the ground. He made clay of the spittle. He applied the clay to his eyes and he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed, and he came back seeing. Now again, I, I want you to learn how to read the Bible. We need to ask questions like, why did Jesus do it this way? Remember with blind Bartimaeus, Jesus says, what can I do for you? He goes, if you're willing, I, you could make me see. And Jesus goes, I'm willing to see. Boom, and the guy can see. So why would this guy, would he, would he take his saliva and make a muddy paste and put it on his eyes? Now we want to be careful here because... Just because somebody from a pulpit says, this is why, you want to go, okay, is this something we can conclude with with great certainty? No, the Bible doesn't tell us for sure. So in in the history of the church, many of the church fathers looked back to Genesis 2 and said, there must be a connection to the original creation when God formed man out of the clay. Or perhaps um, there was a tradition at that time that the father's saliva had healing properties and that they did rub saliva on on people's eyes others have suggested that no Jesus wants to heighten the reality of just how dark and blind we really are so it's like a blind man putting a mask on it's like with clay now he's really blind kind of like when Elijah said hey I'm not just going to call fire down from heaven. I'm going to pour water on this sacrifice. And God's still going to light it on fire. So it might be just to heighten the healing. But at the end of the day, we can't know for sure. So here's an example. Be careful when people go to extremes and say, this is what it means. Just go, okay, there's something perhaps alluded to spiritually. And then why did he ask him to wash? Well, I think I could with a little more confidence say, Probably to illustrate that salvation does involve a spiritual washing. It's not the first time we've seen this water and washing. John chapter 3, you must be born of water. And we suggested that that was from Ezekiel 35. God said, I will sprinkle water on you and cleanse you and put my spirit in you. So we can remember, hey, I've been washed. We just sang about being washed. We just celebrated communion. Interview number one, the neighbors. Now, remember, these neighbors saw this guy every day. This is what you did back then. Blind people, you would lay them at the gate where the religious people would give their charity and they would help blind people. So one day he comes walking by. He's like, hey, how you doing? Nice outfit you have on. They're like, what? The neighbors were saying, isn't this the one who used to sit and beg? Meaning, isn't this the blind man? And others were saying, yeah, Tim." Still others were saying, no, it's his doppelganger. Look at verse 9. If somebody looks like him, can't be him, he's blind, right? Now imagine this guy, he, he, I like this, verse, verse nine, he's gone, solo Marco Polo, solo Marco Polo. If you've seen the Geico commercial, he goes, it is me, I'm the one, I'm the one. Imagine how frustrated "Oh, it, it can't be you because you're blind, it's me, right? He's giving his testimony. So they said to him, well, well how were your eyes open? <clears throat> now, think back to the guy that Jesus healed in John chapter five, the lame man. When they said, who healed you? He goes, I don't know. And I'm going, why that ungrateful thug? This guy, he goes, I'll tell you exactly who it was. Jesus. He made clay. He anointed my eyes. He said to me, go wash in Siloam. So I went away and washed, and I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? Notice, he says, I don't know. And there's going to be this world where This play on that phrase. He's going to keep going, I don't know. And the Pharisees keep going, we know. And God's going to go, no, it's quite the opposite. How would I know? Last time I saw him, I was blind because I didn't see him. He put mud on my eyes and I walked away. And who knows where he is now? Well, it's time to get a social commentary from the religious guy. So verse 13, they brought him to the Pharisees. They're like, come with us. So now he's in front of the religious leaders. You know, they've got their robes on. And John says, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Which in our mind, we'd go, hey, praise the Lord. What a great day to heal him. But for the Pharisees, that's like, this proves how wicked he is. You don't do that on the Sabbath. So he's definitely a sinner. And so the Pharisees asked him, verse 15, how did you receive your sight? He applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Now the Pharisees give their initial opinion. They're going to have the press conference. All the reporters are asking. Here's our conclusion, verse 16. This man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Now there's some truth to that. I want you to remember this. In the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, God said, if a prophet does a miracle in my name, but then he leads the people astray, he's not from me. So there will be situations where people can do something miraculous but they're not from God. It always needs to be tested by scripture. We're warned that in the last days, the Antichrist will have the ability to do miraculous signs and most of the world will follow him. So we always need to test these miraculous things with the word. So they were right in that sense. Where they were wrong is, they're going, he can't be from God that he's breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, we already discussed this. I'm not breaking the Sabbath. But others were also right. They said, how can a man who's a sinner perform such signs? They're going, listen, from what I know, God works through godly people, not wicked people. And so there was a division among them. And this is where John's constantly causing us to go, where are you in this? You're like, oh, I'm in the middle, right? No, you can't be in the middle. You're either for him or against him. So notice the guy's initial conclusion. They said, all right, what do you say? So they turn the mic on him. What do you think? And the blind man goes, um, I don't know. I, I think he's a prophet. Because the you know, blind man had heard stories of Elijah and people who could heal people. Now, again, notice his eyes are ever widening. He's, he's progressing in his understanding of Jesus. And this is often how people come into a relationship from Jesus, with Jesus. They're reading the Bible, and then all of a sudden, you know, you just starting start to go, wait a minute. Wow, all these little stories that I heard about, this is real, Right? So much like the Samaritan woman, he's growing in grace. The Samaritan woman, when Jesus says, yeah, I I know you have five husbands. When you have not your husband, she's like, you must be a prophet. So in the same way as Christians, we don't just get the whole thing. Our eyes are progressively growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ as we come to love him and trust him. Well, at this point, the Pharisees are, 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 this is just ridiculous. He, he, He's a liar. He can't be blind. Go get his parents. So now we see another interview, verse 18. The Jews, therefore, didn't believe it of him that he'd been blind and had received sight until they called the parents. Here come the parents stumbling in like, hey, I'm in the middle of cooking. What's what's the issue here, right? And they said, hey, is this here boy, your son, verse 19? He says he was born blind. How does he now see? Now, did you ever watch a kid misbehave and, and, and go, I really want to spank the parents right now? When I read this story, I want to spank these parents. And here's why. They threw their son under the bus. They threw their son under the bus. Look at verse 20. Surely by now, their son had told them. Saul didn't take place in a two-second. So their son told, hey, this guy named Jesus, he healed me. So notice how careful they are with their words because they're worried about what the religious leaders will think. Verse 20. Well, we know it's our son and that he was born blind, but how he sees, we don't know. Who opened his eyes? We don't know. Now, that's where I want to spank them. I go, you do so know. And you're like, oh, Pastor Tom, you're reading into the Bible. No, I'm not. Please wait. There's more. I'm not reading into the Bible because keep reading. They said, you should ask him. He'll speak for himself. Verse 22. His parents said this because they loved their son. Is that what it says? No, it says they said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should, now notice this phrase, confess him to be the Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. So here's the deal. There was sort of like this test case that says, this guy here named Jesus, what's your opinion of him? What Jesus wants us to do is say, I believe he's the son of God, the savior of the world, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God but through him. And I'm his follower. But there was a cost back then. This phrase to be put out of the synagogue is only used three times in the Bible. It's all in the Gospel of John. It's one word in in, in Greek. Out of the synagogue. And it literally meant to be excommunicated. It was far more than, sir, you're not welcome in the establishment today. You're going to have to leave the restaurant. This was a permanent social decision that meant... Dude, your life is going to be horrible from here on because your family's going to forsake you, your friends are going to forsake you, your employer's going to forsake you, society's going to forsake you, and you're going to have a really difficult life. From now on, you think you didn't have any friends before, and this is one of the things that we have to realize that in, 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 in Muslim cultures right now, these people, I remember asking a Muslim Lady one time, why don't it seem, seems like you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Why don't you just tell your family? She goes, Because they will kill me. There's a cost to identifying with Christ. And so herein is, is a sad thing that, that the parents were willing to forsake their relationship with their son because they were preoccupied with what people would think of them. Are we starting to pick up a theme in the Gospel of John? Don't be fixed on what people around you think throw yourself at the mercies of christ if he's pleased with you come hell or high water it doesn't matter david said in psalm 3 i will not be afraid of 10 thousands of people who set themselves against me round about if god be for me who who can become against me and this is part of what happens in in the christian faith is that we have to come to that point of saying i have decided to follow jesus though no one joined me Grandma's mad. Uncle dad. You know, mom and dad are saying, are you telling me our traditions are wrong? And you're going, listen, I'm not telling you anything other than I believe the Bible and I believe that Jesus is the son of God and he's my Lord and Savior. So having thrown him under the bus, they, 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 they put him back on the stage. Now, by now, I really like this guy. I, I, I'm, I'm going to talk to him in heaven. I, I, he's got a great sense of humor and he, and. and He's just kind of like got this little witty way about going, so so, so they bring him back a second time, and, and he, he's probably tired by now. Okay, you know, what can I tell you that I already didn't already tell you? Verse 24, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Now that phrase, give glory to God, you would think, hey, I think they get it. Let's all praise God together that he healed you. But this is where we're learning to read the Bible. If you were to look at that phrase, give glory to God, It's used in the book of Joshua when they confront Achan about his sin. God has revealed to them that Achan has sinned. And so when they know that it's Achan, they bring him in front of everybody and they say, son, give the glory to God. And the context is there. Give the glory to God. Come clean and admit that you're a liar and you were wrong. Right? So they're not not trying to praise God. They're going, we want you to... Change your views here and admit that you're a liar and, and call Jesus a sinner. Now, now, look at the guy's answer. He goes, well, you know, whether he's a sinner, I don't know about that. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. You know, Dolly Parton's not the first person who sung that song, right? I was blind, but now I see. And here's an example of someone who decisively chooses to side with Jesus. And develops a personal witness. People are like, I don't have a testimony. Yeah, you do. I was blind, but now I see. And whether it was, you know, some of you are so spiritual. You were four years old and you were reading Francis Schaeffer Escape from Reason. And you're going, the plausible arguments of the resurrection have convinced me I was blind, but now I see. But most of us sorry souls were just walking through life blind. And then all of a sudden somebody shared the gospel with us. And we're like, I get it. Right? So they said to him. What did he do to you? How did did he open your eyes? Now, is it me, or are we getting repetitive here? And this is where I think the guy's funny. He's kind of like, did you just ask me that again? Look at his answer. This is where I think he's kind of funny. Now, again, this is where you're reading the Bible. Sometimes it's helpful to read it out loud and try to think of his intonations. He says, I told you already. You didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You, too, don't want to be his disciples, do you? I just kind of, I kind of feel like a little, now this took guts. His parents were like, ew, we don't know. And he's like, you want to follow him with me? I'm like, I like this guy. Now notice, they reviled him. In fact, Donald Carson said this about him. They said, or about the, the, the leaders, the impertinence of this untrained member of the common herd. This little moron, who does he think he is? So they're, it says they reviled him. You are his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses, right? Now, frankly, I would love for people to say that about me, wouldn't you? Point to Jesus, point to me and say, you're his disciple. And I go, yep. I'd, I'll take that as a compliment. What they meant as a, as a criticism, he goes, yep. And by the way, some of you have to go, am I willing to make a break with the traditions of my church? Well, I've been taught to be a disciple. You know, we have a long-standing tradition. So did they, and it was wrong. And they go, I'm done with man's traditions. I'm gone with the truth of the Bible. So, verse 29, we know God spoke to Moses. We don't know where this man's from. And again, I like this guy. He goes, if he was alive today, he'd say, well, ain't that something? If he was in the South, he'd say, ain't that something? Because he goes, well, here, verse 30, here is an amazing thing. He goes, this is kind of neat, isn't it? We know where he's from, or you don't know where he's from, but he opened my eyes. And then he says, guys, this isn't rocket science. We know that God doesn't hear sinners, but if anyone fears God and does his will, he hears them. Since the beginning of time, it's never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a blind man way I see it, fellas, if he weren't from God, he couldn't do this. Do you ever get in a discussion with someone where you have presented something that's pretty clear? You know, I mean, there's not much they can say. right? I mean, the evidence demands a verdict. What do people sometimes do? They go, it's like when you know you lost in checkers when you're four years old. You, you don't go, that was a brilliant move. Right? Or, or, or as you get a little older, you're playing your kid in chess, you know, and you put him in checkmate, and you're like, yeah! And you're like, he's only four, right? And so he flips the table over. He's like, this is stupid. I think that's what they just did. They don't know what else to say. They're busted. He just made a great point. So look what they do. Oh, you were entirely born in your sins. Can you teach us? You're out of here, right? Now, I want you to picture this poor blind man. He just got the social boot. And this is a big deal. I imagine he went home and said, hi, mom and dad. They go, don't call us mom and dad. Well, I'm going to be going to my room. You don't have a room here anymore. Well, fine, I'll go to my friends. Barry, Barry, it's me. We're done. He checks his Facebook. Delete, delete, delete. Unfriend, unfriend, unfriend. Well, at least I got my boss. Here's your pink slip. I mean, this guy had a lot to lose, right? And I can imagine as he wrestled with this, he was pretty beat up, right? But this is what I love about Jesus. He goes after beat up people. He says, I didn't come to call the righteous. He loves to go after the broken, the confused, the disillusioned, the weak, the hurting. Notice carefully, verse 35, Jesus heard that he put out in finding him. You know, the guy's walking down the sidewalk, he's got his, he's working his Neil Diamond. I've been walking these streets so long, singing my same sad song. And Jesus comes up to him and says, hey. Now remember, he's never seen Jesus. So Jesus says, hey, i got a question for you, son. Do you believe in the son of man? Now, that's interesting that he used the phrase son of man. because That's not normal in the Gospel of John. And again, as you're learning to read the Bible, you go, is that word son of man used elsewhere? And if you went to the Old Testament, the phrase son of man is a very famous passage in Daniel chapter 7 where Daniel has a vision. And in that vision, he sees God sitting on his throne. He's called the Ancient of Days. But it says, I saw one like the son of man come and stand before him and judgment was given to him. And you're like, this son of man, he, he's pretty important. And, and so as, as, as people read the Old Testament, they began to realize that another term for the, the Christ, the Messiah, the one who would come to save us, is the Son of Man. Right? So, so Jesus meets up with this sad, beat-up guy going, what am I going to do now? And he says, do you believe in the, in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Messiah who's going to judge the world? Guy says, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus goes, solo, Marco Polo. You have both seen him, and he's the one talking with you. It's kind of like, some of you are going, what's this like? It's like undercover boss. What? Yes, I am the Messiah. I'm God. I I came in flesh to save you. Do you believe that? I love this little phrase. It says, he worshipped him. This is why when Jehovah's Witnesses tell me, oh, I don't think Jesus was God. If ever where there was an ideal time for Jesus to do some correcting, if he wasn't God, he would have said, hey, get up. All right, you already heard me say, you shall worship God, right? But what does Jesus do? He welcomes, he accepts this prostration and worship. Why? Because that's the proper way to view Christ with worship and faith and surrender. You are the Lord. So the chapter closes with Jesus bringing out a, a very telling sort of bait and switch where he says, "Haha! ha, so here's the way it is. The people who think they see are blind and the people who admit they're blind, they see. So Jesus, as the man's worshiping Jesus and going, oh, I love you, Lord, thank you. I'll follow you, I've lost everything, but I don't care because I love you so much. Thank you. Jesus looks around, and by now, the religious leaders must have been going, ah, look at that, there he is, there he is. So he says, listen here, fellas, for judgment I came into this world. You know why? So that people like this guy, right, who do not see may see. But for you folks, he says, I came that those who see may become blind. In other words, well, look at the next verse. Jesus, they're going, wait a minute, are you saying what I think you're saying? Look at verse 40. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things, said, we're not blind too. Are are you sort of implying that we're blind? It's it's, it's really ironic. The blind man confessed freely what he didn't know, but the self-assured opinions of the religious people were confessing that they thought they knew. And he's going, no, you don't know. And that's what's really sad is as we go out into the world, most people don't get it, but the problem is they don't know they don't get it. That's why it's called being blind. So Jesus says, what you just said by asking me if you're blind, therein lies the problem. Verse 41, if you were blind, you would have no sin. In other words, if you would just cry out in your lost condition that you don't get it, but you believe what the scriptures say about me, I would gladly save you. But satisfied with your church traditions, you're gonna die in your sins. He says, since you say, we see. So it's it's sad. I mean, I've talked to people, I've showed them the gospel, and they go, well, that's not what my church says. I go, wait a minute, this is what the Bible says. Right? Well, I'm sorry, but I don't believe that. We know. I mean, our church goes all the way back. We know. You do? So let's draw out some applications. You go, okay, how do I apply the Bible? Well, number one, let's go back to the, to the comment Jesus made. Hey, this guy isn't blind for punishment. So if, I'm going to assume that most of you here have a problem. Right? I, got, I got problems. Like, oh, I wish I was a pastor. You guys don't have any problems. <laughs> yeah, we do, right? Probably most of us here could say, yeah, I got a problem I'm dealing with right now. Our natural reaction to problems is they must be punishment. So let me just say, whatever your problem is today, maybe it's with a a spouse, a kid, your job, your health, the future, depression, whatever it is. Whatever your problem is, instead of assuming that it must be punishment or assuming that it's going to be permanent, we don't know whether that's the case, but we do know this, that it's purposeful. And it's a platform for God to work. Jesus says, it wasn't because he sinned. This is so that God can work. And that's, that's a great way to go, okay, God, I don't like this. But you're going to be glorified through it. And I'm going to try to trust you. And I'm going to pray for wisdom and faith to accept those things that I can't change. And I want you to be glorified through me, Lord. So there's a good application. I'm going to surrender our problems to Christ. Number two, Jesus says... Hey, we've got to work the works of him who sent us while it's day. There's an urgency to advancing the gospel. See, the Lord could come today, and that's it. Game's over. The only reason he hasn't come, the Bible says he's not slow about his coming, but he's patient, not willing for any to perish, but for men to come to repentance. Each day that he extends history, one more page on the calendar is purposeful because he's not willing for people to perish. So what are we doing running around wasting our lives with silly stuff when there's an urgency to the gospel? Some of you aren't even in the game yet. Jesus goes, we must work. If you're a Christian, we work for Christ. The church is not just a place for you to come and be a consumer at the buffet center. I hope that that sign-up sheet for who's going to help set up will be like, okay, we got enough. Not like, well, surely they're not expecting me to do that. I put my money on the plate. I mean, we're Christians. There's an urgency and a privilege to change our priorities and work for the Lord. Third, as you read this story, it's just a great chance to step back and go, I want to rejoice at these spiritual reminders of my own salvation. I was blind, but the Lord Jesus opened my eyes. So when I sing it, I can sing it like I mean it. I was lost, but now I'm found. And I want to remember this, that many times as I read the Bible, I learned something new or the Lord goes, oh, you didn't see it right there. This phrase really struck me. It says, after he washed, he came back seeing, right? Have you ever come home from church and you're like, hey, I saw something different now. Or you're reading your Bible and you come out and you're just different. Why? Because you came back seeing. God is always using his word as a lamp to our feet, a light to our path to lead us deeper into the truth. A couple other things real quick. Just as the Father sent Jesus to be lights in the world, he goes, now I'm sending you. So as you go home today and as you're at work, the Bible says, don't grumble and complain, but recognize you're living in a crooked and perverse generation and you and I can shine as lights in the world. Our attitudes, our conversations, our invitations to others to talk about Christ. These are opportunities to shine as a light. And then lastly, some of you Perhaps are steeped in church traditions, and that's what's blinding you Others or you are steeped in human speculations I'm an atheist because of my great intellect and I've examined everything and so I don't believe the Bible Can I tell you this if you're steeped in your church traditions or you're steeped in your human speculations? Now you just encountered God's revelation and you have a choice to make Will you be like the Pharisees and say, I'm not blind. I don't believe that. Or will you be like the blind man? Will you believe in the Lord Jesus with all your heart? And if you do, are you going to go, but I ain't telling nobody. I'll just witness by my life. Or will you come shouting hallelujah down the aisle going, praise Jesus. Where is the baptism pool? I want to confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart. See, there's this fence called fear. And at some point, you got to get over that fence of fear and go, I believe, Lord. And I don't care what people think anymore. I want you to forgive me and I want to follow you. Maybe that's you this morning. I don't invite you. We don't have time to do an invitation this morning. Somebody said to me the other week, boy, I I wanted to come forward so bad and, and just... Tell people that I believe, we'll do it another time. It doesn't mean you're not saved. But maybe this morning, someone who brought you, you'll tell them, I do want to be saved. I do believe. Or maybe you say, I, 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 think I, I think I'm saved, but I sure haven't been following him, and I want to follow him. But some of you may be a Christian. You're like, I just lost my way for a while. Peter calls that forgetting your purification from your former sins. He goes, don't be blind or short-sighted, but be diligent to make your calling sure." Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the precious words of Jesus. We love him. Lord, thank you that when we gather in your name, you meet with us. And I feel as though we all just sat at your feet and read your words. And we all join together with one heart and mind like the blind man and we worship you. And We love you, Lord. We bless you. We thank you for finding us and washing the mud off our eyes so we could see. Thank you for washing our sins away. And help us to trust you with our problems. And send us out into the world as lights. Thank you for every person here who works for Christ. May the Lord be glorified today. And for those whose eyes are open to believe in the gospel, may you give them great assurance that you have forgiven them. And may they have great confidence to confess that they are followers of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Be sure to let us know if you've trusted Christ as your Savior.